0: Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Imperfect Leaders. If you like today's show, please consider sharing us with your friends. Until then, sit back and enjoy today's episode. Think of all the germs, bacteria, viruses, and other airborne diseases we expose ourselves to every single day. It's really scary. Now, consider the fact that we spend a full 90% of our time indoors. That's a big problem. Today's guest, Jennifer Knuckles, is the energetic, whip smart CEO of a company called R Zero that has an amazing solution to this awful problem. R Zero makes an energy efficient, technology enabled, cost effective, and yes, 99.99% effective way to zap these harmful microorganisms before they even have a chance to enter your bloodstream. Seen in this light, Jennifer is a modern day leader who lives by the adage that companies can do well, that is make lots of money, by doing good, helping people and helping the planet. So I hope that by the end of this conversation, you'll like Jennifer and R0 as much as I do. What is R0 and what problem do you guys solve?
1: what our products do is disinfect real time air and surfaces from 99.99% of pathogens these are the pathogens that cause you know staff infections mrtha um Um, E. coli, mold, actually, in schools, uh, the cold and flu, COVID, of course, norovirus. So really all of the reasons that people get sick. And we focus on four key verticals because what we've all learned in the past three years is just how important it is for people to be healthy and be able to go around uh, and about their normal lives, both from an economic standpoint, from a mental health standpoint, really to keep the economy moving forward.
0: Mm. So will will there ever be some sort of an app that I can just pull up my iPhone and see exactly what kind of viruses and bacteria swirling? Oh,
1: so... Oh, I love this question. So with our software capabilities, one thing our product team is doing right now is launching R0 Connect. And so all of our all of our devices are internet enabled. Um, they all have a dashboard that report out on how many effective air changes per hour are running, um, how many cycles have been run, um, what the disinfection rates were. We have dissimilar cards that are placed which show like hot spots in rooms, um, but we are launching the app version that real time you can see uh, through API calls, what's going on in your your building or your office space, what happened with all of those environmental factors I, I mentioned to you, you know, number of people, asset tagging, whatnot, how often the disinfecting platforms ran. We're partnering with several partners externally to look at the indoor air quality barometers so you could see what the indoor air quality is and actually know how healthy your space is.
0: Man, I love this. I can't wait to get the app.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the thing I think that's so stunning for all of us is like all of our, the spaces that we're in have so much data that isn't really readily available to analyze and gather insights with. And so we're making that Uh, In the control of the constituents hands and our constituents are typically, you know, deputy superintendents of school districts, CFOs, chief sustainability officers, chief medical officers, Um, corporate real estate is is a big user right now as they're trying to make their spaces work harder for them. Um, There's just so much information that can be used to optimize these spaces and, and make them smarter.
0: So what is the potential market size for you guys?
1: So we put ourselves in the healthy buildings category, which is, you know, billions and billions of dollars in the total addressable market. When I mentioned, like, we focus on four verticals. We focus on healthcare, the public sector. We have a number of partnerships with LA Parks and Recs, sheriff's facilities, um, community centers, for example, uh, commercial real estate and healthcare. And so we're focused on those key verticals because those are where there's really strong product market fit existing Um, And where we have a number of customers, we cover one and a half million lives right now, over a thousand uh, locations and and we're three years old. Well, let's
0: talk about you. You know, it must take such a dynamic leader to be the CEO of this company. I mean, what was your path? How did you get from Clorox, another very interesting company, to the CEO of R0?
1: Yeah, I've had a really fortuitous path. So I grew up in California, as you and I were talking Uh, prior to the start of this. And then I went to Berkeley. I then moved to University of California, Berkeley. Then I moved to the East Coast, got married, spent a lot of time out there, went to business school, came back here and worked for uh, almost a decade at Clorox, And it was a fantastic training ground, really a general management, go-to-market experience. I ran a, a variety of Um, well-known household brands. And then I left and I became chief uh, marketing officer at a number of technology companies. So I've had two IPOs, I've had three exits. And really what I bring to the table is the ability to grow businesses and see kind of the end goal from kind of the the individual parts. And um, I ran commercial for a digital health company that exited and then I was asked to go over to SoFi and at SoFi, I ran one of the three group business units, so a third of the company. We IPO'd two years ago, had a really big PL, really big team. And during that time, I was asked to be on the board of R0, and I was asked to be on the board by one of the founders who I had worked with um, for about 10 years in a board capacity. And so I joined R0 as uh, a board member, independent board member, three years ago. I think I was the... Outside of the founders, I was the first person really with the company. We've since raised three rounds. We've raised $172 million all in. And the board decided to do a CEO search about a year ago. So so Uh,
0: even though you were on the board as an independent director, the the board still went through a formal uh, CEO search process. It went
1: through a search and it was really complimentary because my name was appearing on all these short lists and the people they were talking to were saying, well, you already have your CEO, which was a compliment for me because when I decided I didn't want to be a chief marketing officer anymore and I went to, to SoFi, that was kind of the next step in my career. I'm gonna run large businesses and get out of this the pure go-to-market. Mm-hmm. And so um they asked me to to interview for the job. We went through the whole process. It took a while. Um, I received the offer last summer and I stepped into the seat in October mm-hmm. and I, um, so I've been in the seat about six months now. So I think it's, it's a gift because I have really long tenure with the company and with the three founders. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just time to really bring in an operational leader to help scale the company kind of from um, the idea into like, how do we grow up in terms of process and really hit the next inflection point.
0: And so what was it like as an independent board member with all of these different founders? It must have been, you know, their baby. And here you are as one of the first independent people. Like, did you, uh, well, first of all, like, did you roll up your sleeves, you know, and get your hands dirty and get out into the field or were you kind of? Showing up once a quarter, and you know how some boards were just rubber stamped. The strategy. Yeah. What was your your philosophy as a board member?
1: So I've been on. For some reason, I I
0: could never see you just sitting back going to quarter. Oh, we haven't known
1: each other very long, but that's a compliment. So yeah, I think the the biggest thing leaders can bring is both operating at the ten thousand feet level, but also boots on the ground, and so. Like I mentioned, I had a really big seat. I was in full-time. R0 had a very active board, the most active board I've ever been on. And and I'm on some other boards as well. And I've obviously sat in the boardroom for the past 15 years between the companies I've worked at. And this board, uh, some boards are apathetic, as you mentioned, this board was highly, highly engaged. And we met uh, monthly for a number of hours. We did work on the side. So I had a really strong relationship with the board, um, both in terms of driving prospective partnerships as well as, as working on product development. Um, so I was, you know, pretty intimately familiar with the business, and I think that's helped coming in. I also really respect our three founders. Yes, before
0: before the founders, yeah. like when you say that you're int- intimately aware of like some of the development of new product, what does that mean? I mean, did you just conceptually know it, or were you actually talking? To some of the people at an R&D understanding. Yep. How the
1: process it ev- yep. It was everything from form development to industrial design, to naming conventions, uh, to, you know, website presence, product-led growth, everything mm-hmm. from like establishment of go-to-market plans, working with the key executives. So I think, you know, having the right board composition is really important. And that's both from Um, You know, what are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to uh, unlock like cost savings in the hardware side? Are you trying to unlock supply chain efficiency? Are you trying to unlock go to market? Are you looking for government contracts, like really having people with that deep expertise? Mm -hmm. And then I think it's also really important to have diversity of thought on a board. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've you've read this, California certainly led it with this, that public boards are required to have female presence on the boards. Mm That's a good thing. It's a good thing to have fully inclusive boards, good thing to have fully inclusive um, employee bases. What you're looking for is diversity and inclusion of thought.
0: So a couple of things, you you said so much there, uh, and I I definitely think that diversity of thought in the boardroom is important, but how important too is having chemistry? So if you have a bunch of people with different ideas, they're going to conflict every once in a while. And so how do you sort of create that psychological safety where people in the boardroom aren't afraid to express totally different ideas and even get in heated debates, but at the end of the day, you know, come out aligned around a strategy?
1: Yeah, it's, it's so important, right? It's important in your family life. It's like, it's important in your marriage. It's important with your kids. Like everyone has to be safe to vocalize uh, dissenting points of view. I think the key is making sure that everyone has a chance to be heard. All the information inputs are shared. And then once a decision is made, everyone locks on that decision and you put your paddles in the water and you paddle towards the same objective. You can't have any dissenters or naysayers on the side that are questioning the decision that the group came to together and you know we certainly had because in the early days of R0, we're still in the early days of RZero. um but at the board you know we we were talking everything between how important is it to partner on external development what ip do we want to have what um what's our speed to go to market how many products do you want to have available how much are you willing to do for customers um, you know, we we debated all of that, both from a science perspective, a technology perspective, pricing perspective, and really put all the issues out on the table. And I think it made for um, faster innovation, and it also made for decisiveness of decisions.
0: And what does that entail for the CEO? Because say you, like you described earlier, if you have board members that bring in a particular expertise that aligns with a key pillar of your strategy, you know, they're going to know more than you sometimes about certain things that are key to your strategy. So is it sort of a collaborative process when you're developing a strategy or is it still the buck stops with you and you're you're going to figure out the strategy and then tell the board?
1: You know, I think so, so many companies and I've been in the boardroom and some of these companies use your board meeting as like a show and tell. And what I do is I send out a pre-read Uh, you know, a week in advance for our board members. I also do a weekly update with my board members. So our board is small. There's only five of us. um, And then we have our observers, of course. It's really important for me, for them to know what's top of mind for me on an ongoing basis. And then I use our board meetings to actually have strategic discussions. So we start, of course, always doing uh, look back at the quarter mid quarter check in and we have our finance or CFO present what's happening from a financial perspective but then we have a number of key topics where I'm really there to tell the board here's what I need from you and here's what's I, what I'm grappling with and then also make sure that I'm giving them what they need cuz you know in the end I'm accountable to them and a the fiduciary responsibility to my investors and my company, but they're responsible to their LPs as well. And so we need to make sure that everyone has all of the information that people need. And we're actually using the time to unpack the most strategic levers. So, you know, we have dissenting opinions and conversations all the time, but this board is so engaged and so attentive and they're, you know, they've all underwritten the company at a huge valuation and they're looking to grow a meaningful uh, product in market that has a sustainable impact.
0: And, and so if there are dissenting views when it comes to key strategic issues, it's not as if you're presenting a strategy that's set in stone to them. You're actually opening it up for debate and kind of deciding whether... Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we do that. And, you know, we have special topics and I'll present like, here's what I need in this meeting. Here's what I need you guys to sign off on. But here's also what we need to discuss. And um, it's a very collaborative environment. I also feel like I can call each and every one of them on an ongoing basis. I talked to two of our board members this weekend, just with some things and some updates that I had going on last week. So you know, I think sometimes board meetings are very formal and these big dog and pony shows and ours are ours are pretty enjoyable and like really working on the business together.
0: And and you said there were five people on the board. Yeah. And are you the only woman? I am. And there are some founders on the board. There are. Okay. So what is that like as the one? There's one founder
1: on the board. So, and then there's myself and then there's three investors. um, And we have two additional board seats and I will likely hire, um, bring on an independent now that I'm not independent any longer. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I think, for the founders, they all had great a great idea. They commercialized it very quickly. You know, the the role of a founder, we ask these founders to do really heroically and things out in market. And they lived and breathed R0 for the two and a half years before I joined. And now it's time to put some process in place, operationalize the company. One the founder who's on the board is very excellent at. Um, strategic thought leadership and unpacking market opportunities and seeing kind of the forest through the trees. So he's a, he's a huge partner to me when I'm thinking what's my moat and what do I want to do on the roadmap and what type of M and A transactions do I want to engage at and you know what's the next lever that I want to pull in market. Like he's a great thought partner.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and what's it like as a woman? as the CEO of this, you know, very fast growing, cool technology company, and also, you know, one, one of the only women on the board.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, this is just a world that I've known, right, so I, I've never sat in the seat as a man, um, but what I'll tell you is, you know, I've, I've lived this world for the past 25 years, grew up in management consulting, uh, you know, the Clorex company had a pretty strong presence of females, not at the executive company. I was the only female officer at Zynga, was the only female officer at doctor on demand. Um, so if I actually had a pretty strong showing of female leaders, but in general, I've worked at a, you know, a, a number of technology companies where the incident rate of females, just not high. Mm. And, you know, I lived in a business school too. Um, I went to Harvard for my MBA and I think the rate of females then was about 25, if not 30%. So I don't know. I've kind of lived it. I have three daughters. I think I set a good example for them knowing that i get a lot of success out of my career i'm a better mom because i'm a worker um but i also make a ton of time for them
0: and, and are you a better leader because you're a good mom
1: i think so i mean i hope so i think you, you know anyone who has children male fathers mothers anyone knows that when you have children you're kind of operating with one hand tied behind your back all the time whether they go home because they have conjunctivitis or they're teenagers and they need to be picked up at the drop of a hat right but Um, It is my most important job developing these independent thinkers that can be contributors, meaningful contributors to society. Hmm. Um, I'm also just a a lot more stimulated and I get a lot more enjoyment out of contributing to a portfolio. And so I like working. I'm good at working. I can get a lot done. Um,
0: How the hell do you do it? Like, it's hard enough with one kid. I don't uh, understand how like with three kids, that are teenagers, and you're the yeah. CEO of a fast-growing company. Yeah. Do do all?
1: Well, the kids just raise themselves, right? Isn't oh, that no, like-
0: and I'm not kidding. Like, I want to know how you do this. And also, like, what kinds of, like, leadership or soft skills did you actually refine as you were a yeah. parent?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, patience is certainly the most important. Positivity, believing what's possible. These are all traits that we want to bring forward to our kids, right? You mentioned um, inclusive leadership or, or servant leadership. I think recognizing that I certainly don't have the answer to anything. I can read the tea leaves and see signs um, pretty quickly. I get that feedback that I, I think fast and I absorb fast. Um, but I think you know. Recognizing like where everyone's strengths are and what they bring to the table, I had a I had a great personal champion early in my career at Clorox who remains one of the biggest champions today, and he gave me kind of the beliefs that he lives by, and one of them is always play to the strengths, um, not the opportunities, and so often in corporate America. Everyone lives through annual performance reviews. No one feels great about those. The type A people like myself focus on what you should have done better. The, the people who had, you know, opportunities take those to heart. Like, I think recognizing what everyone brings to the table and having, um, you know, them succeed and, and be able to be coached is so important. And that's a big thing that, that I've done. I've hired a number of really good people um, at Zero from my network, people that are you know, committed both to the mission, but also to developing a big company. And it's really fun to see them uh, taking on the next step in their career. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're we're hiring like smart, agile people who work hard, who want to um, grow quickly, who aren't afraid to take risks. And we ask startup people to do a lot. So you kind of need to live and breathe your startup on a daily basis.
0: And, and then, you know, obviously no one's perfect. So I'm sure you're assessing for like values fit and you're looking for certain yeah. competencies like smart and agile and hard work totally. and not afraid of risk. But how then do you coach people? I mean, how important is developing leaders at RZ?
1: Real, really important. We're a super small company. And I think there's tons of studies that show like if you have one bad egg, it brings everyone down or it changes the culture. You know, culture is such a funny word. Culture is not happy hours every day of the week and t-shirts and every yeah. uh, color of the rainbow, right? What is it culture, then? Right. I think culture is growing something together, being proud of the impact that you're making, waking up every morning and seeing the results, the, the, the results of your labor and market, you know, holding yourself to a high bar and your teams to that same high bar. And it's really fun. And, you know, business is always, do well, or when the business is doing well, the culture is more fun. Um, But also when you're kind of in the thick of it, and you're in the trenches, you really see like who your supporters and your allies are. And, you know, I've had a number of roles in pretty tough cultures. And uh, certainly being the only female exec in gaming was very tough. Um, There's a lot said about the gaming culture. And I have some of my best friends in life who worked with me at Zynga. And we always say like, if you could come out of that environment respecting each other and supporting each other you can do that anywhere
0: Mm. and so how much of your time because you're a very busy lady how much of your time do you actually spend on like soft soft skills and developing a culture and making sure you know there's this right values fit of every everybody you bring on board to join the team
1: yeah so one of the things they did when I joined with my chief operating officer is roll out our core values so we have four there's so many studies that show you can only as a human remember like 3 to 5 things um so you know there um take personal ownership is one taking care of people is another Um, You know, learning and innovating is another like these are things that are tenant to a testament to a startup environment. We use behavioral uh, modeling and interviewing profiling when we assess candidates. Um, we believe in hiring T-shaped people, which are people who have kind of deep expertise in one area, but are able to span multiple areas. It's really hard when you're in a startup and people want to do like strategy and not actually focus on execution. There's actually not a role for just a strategist. Like everyone needs to be working on a business. And, you know, the, the biggest impact that I can have is being relentlessly focused on resources and whether that's cash because. Cash is king, right? We just raised $105 million. I am protecting that cash just like I would protect it if it were my own. And then the resource allocation and making sure that everyone is working on the biggest priorities that are going to move the needle. We have a ton of ideas. It's always hard to say no to good ideas. Um, it's harder than than saying yes. Um, and we just have to prioritize them.
0: I mean, but it's it sounds like saying no is probably one of the most important things you can do if resource allocation is a key part of your job.
1: We do. We, so yeah, we use different techniques for that. So again, I've, I've managed a lot of PM teams, both at Zynga and at SoFi. So I'm really good at looking at the cut line and what moves below the cut line um, you know, I think you just you just have to use ruthless prioritization of what you're trying to get accomplished. We use OKRs. We measure what we're doing each quarter. I have a weekly uh, management twice a week management call with my direct team. This is something that I lose, learned from my last CEO who did this excellently, and that? I, you know, put in place. Um, that was Anthony Noto, the CEO of SoFi. Uh, So I put in place like this is what we work on this week. These are our learnings. This is what we have to accomplish together in terms of unblocking challenges. So everyone's on the same page. Tell me
0: more about that T model. That when you're recruiting somebody, you look with some, you look for someone that has this T. What does that mean?
1: Yeah. So the T could be you have deep expertise in product development, but then you're able to. So it looks like a T, right? Your okay. downward is your product development, but then you're able to span like finance and and marketing and operations. Take that deep product knowledge, but how it impacts all the functions. Like my T is marketing. I spent. A decade in marketing at Clorox. I was a CMO a number of times over. What I'm able to translate that to is P&L, operations, um, HR management, you know, legal. So as long as you have a really deep expertise, but you can scale broadly across, I think you're very successful. Um, that, that mentor I mentioned to you when I was leaving Clorox, I had a number of jobs that were very close in and consumer packaged goods. And he told me in no uncertain words, um, run, do not walk from those offers. Take what you know and apply those broader to industries because you know that. Mm -hmm. And so I believe you hire the athlete and you train for the skills.
0: Interesting. And you want to give a shout out to that mentor of Clorox?
1: That's Terang. I mean, he is the CEO of Elf Cosmetics, Eyes, Lips, Face Cosmetics. He left Clorox, he has been a CEO two times over. Once uh, was at Shift Nutrition, he exited for the highest multiple in the nutrition cap- uh, category, and then he moved on to Elf.
0: What are some of the things that, you know, some of these rising star leaders uh, at our zero struggle with? What do they grapple with? How do you guys help them overcome some of their biggest you know, obstacles.
1: Yeah. One thing as people move from ICs into managers is they don't know how to delegate and you can always do something faster. If you do it um, yourself, that's really dangerous. You're taking time away from bigger things that you should be working on. You're also not developing the next generation of leaders. So number one, making sure that teams are delegating appropriately, you know, number two, really emphasizing.
0: Yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but like Is it that they don't know how to delegate or that they don't trust Mm -hmm. to delegate?
1: I think part of it is like we're all type a, we all want to have some level of control, making sure that we know all the details, you know, as a leader, you have to know the details, but you have to know the right level of details. So it's important for me to empower and trust my leaders and they'll bring the information to me that they need me to know. But if I ask a question, they also need to know the details. And so I think, you know, as people are rising in their careers, that's a hard, hard, uh, path to take, because you're kind of letting go of some of the things you did in the past and freeing up time and giving those to the next generation.
0: And then you're about to say empathy.
1: Oh, I think empathy is super important, Uh, recognizing like where people are coming from. So everyone kind of has a different perspective that they're bringing to the table, Um, especially what we've seen in this hybrid environment where people are working remotely, you know, really having the empathy to understand what's important in someone's life, make sure you line their personal goals and their professional goals. Um, We spend so much time at work that if you're not happy professionally, you're probably not going to be happy personally. So at the beginning of every year, when we do uh, like, you know, kind of goal setting as a team, I make sure that I understand what's important to each of my directs and what they want to accomplish this year. And, And does R
0: zero help people develop better empathy?
1: I think so. I, I the reason I think so is it's really at the intersection of all the verticals that matter to me. So again, as I head into like you know, the second half of my life, my kids are aging out of the house. What's important to me is education, um, digital health. I've worked in in four healthcare companies, um, if if you include Clorox, um, and the environment. And there's a number of things I've done, whether it's launching sustainable brands. Um, that I did at Clorox, um, but at our zero, what we do is that we haven't talked about this. Our products use one twentieth the cost of HVAC systems, mm. and so what companies have started doing over the past three years is running their HVAC systems thirty percent more because they're trying to essentially push air into buildings. And it's, it's so really push- bad.
0: Yeah, it's, so it's really
1: bad for the That's environment. So like,
0: too. it's
1: super expensive because energy costs have gone up, but it's really bad for the environment. Greenhouse gases are being emitted all over the place. Like, substrates and chemicals are running off into um, into the water sources. Like we all should be thinking about climate. And so when I think about the intersection of education, sustainability, digital health, it's pretty unparalleled opportunity. And um, the people on our, our team are so mission-oriented and you know, commercially oriented. I'm, I'm gonna call it like I'm a commercially oriented person, I'm here to grow a big business. But how do you
0: help someone say that's a technical expert? So if you look at that tea, they have the good base of yeah. the tea, you know, so they have the vertical expertise. How do you help that person become more empathic and really understand, you know, how to think about, you know, somebody in a different function or even yeah, uh, better still how to, how to understand what the other person is feeling.
1: It's so important. So when I started at R0, it was really obvious to me that there were, is in October, there were a ton of silos. Like the product team never talked to the marketing team. The marketing team never even talked to the sales team. Like marketing and sales should be like married, right? Um, The finance team didn't talk to anyone. Like, so again, like I was mentioning, what we do every week is there's this um, concentrated management pack that goes through all of the key priorities for the week. And if my COO has something on her list that's not a priority list for supply chain, that's not a priority list for accounting, well, there's an issue. Like you guys all better be working on the same thing, right? And that's a new muscle. And you know, use the example of product development um, our engineering team, our product team, phenomenal, but they were working in isolation. And so really breaking down that barrier, having them part, partner with marketing, having them get out in the field and hear from customers, really important. And
0: what about empathy? If you have too much empathy and now I'm just playing devil's advocate, but does that kind of bleed into compassion, which you know sounds great, but maybe it, it uh, uh, precludes you from making difficult people yeah. decisions if you're too compassionate?
1: Okay, so I will use um, one of my favorite lines that actually one of my board members at R0 said, there's a difference between kindness and niceness Hmm. and you want to be kind. And so people associate being nice with, I'd be like, hey, Jeff, I like your shirt. Okay, kind, I would be like, Jeff, like the white isn't actually bringing out the color of your eyes. You might want to try blue. Like it's hard feedback, right? But it's actually because I care about you. And so the difference between having empathy versus just being nice all the time, the best leaders actually give feedback, coach, hold people accountable, may not always be the most comfortable because you're having tough conversations, but you're making the company and the team better.
0: So how do you coach people to be better coaches?
1: I think um, sometimes shadowing them, being in the meetings with them when you're noticing and interjecting, right? And tell them what you're going to do first. So I've been in many meetings with teams where I'm like, I'm not going to speak because it's it's dangerous for the, you know, a senior person in the room to speak. You speak first, but I will interject if there's things I can add. And then you do a post-mortem or a debrief right afterwards, which is, hey, I noticed that Jeff was quiet in that meeting. You might want to bring him into the conversation by asking questions or, hey, I noticed that You spoke over someone. You might want to stand back next time, or you know, so and so didn't understand what you were saying. Sometimes it's helpful to be repetitive, like giving that real-time coaching.
0: when you have like uh, you know a bunch of different functional heads in the same room, like do you ever have like really heated debates where people just all the
1: time? Yeah, of course. Things kind
0: of fly off the rails, and maybe people think like, "Oh my god, I can't believe the finance person hates me so much." I mean, what is that situation like? And like, what do you encourage them to do after the meeting?
1: Oh, you always have to go real time and talk to the person. I mean we have heated conversations all the time. And I think that's what you actually want to have because you want to have a trusted space where people are open and they're not having sidebar conversations. Uh, My head of finance is so good. And he has in his head that every comment made is about him. And I've said to him like, hey, don't take everything so personally. People aren't always talking about you, but he's such a perfectionist. He internalizes it. So real time, like if, if it gets heated saying like, hey, let's back burner this for a second. Let's pause. Like this meeting's not productive. You know, kind of kind of take it offline to like you two talk first. Um, you know, one technique that we do, because every week as a management team, we have this like blockers section where people have to highlight things they need from the rest of the team. But if they haven't actually talked about it with the other person first, that's pretty dysfunctional. Like they have to actually try to solve it first before bringing it to a broader team.
0: And you mentioned something else like the CEO or the leader of the particular group can set strong signals by even their body language. You said that, or or their actions, you had said that you don't want to purposefully lead the meeting and you have someone yeah. lead it. I'm sh- are, there, are there tricks like that that other leaders can think of or use to create that safety and trust in a group meeting?
1: Yeah. So that was a technique that I learned at Clorox. They had direction that when you were doing an advertising review, for example, the most junior person would speak first. And that's because you want to avoid group think. You want to avoid people um, always siding with the most senior voice in the room. So I rarely speak first. I always um, let other people put their voice point of view out. The other thing that I've I've been coached on, and, and this is an opportunity of mine is as I mentioned, like, I think fast, I talk fast. I'm from Southern California, compete with your New Yorker. Um, you know, sometimes Californians I need don't to... talk fast? Californians don't?
0: No, not Southern California. Not, not oh, like yeah? San Diego that I know. They do not talk as fast. Oh,
1: San Diego so laid back. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh,
0: yeah. there is no such thing as a perfect leader like yeah. what are you personally working on to become an even better leader
1: yeah look I'm super driven I wake up in the morning and want to know like how the business closed the day before as a technology leader I would check on a daily basis from every company, like the the prior days results when I, when I have those real time in an app and see how we had done. Um, So I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. I'm really driven. I have an aptitude for absorbing a lot. People joke, my good friends joke that I sleep not a lot. Um, I don't think that's true. I think I sleep a lot, but, you know, making sure that I guess I bring people along in my thought process. I make sure to arm people with all of the information they need. I like over communicate. We actually had a meeting this morning at my staff level where I was talking about the importance of communicating with the team. It's really not fair for teams to go into meetings when they don't have all the inputs they need. So I just, I continue to emphasize this and my team knows what's kind of like sacred to me. Um, But I also know when I have to like um, slow down and I have to understand that like things that are important to me might not be important to other people.
0: Hmm. And was that something that you had to work on a lot when you first got into a key like P&L leadership position, like slowing down, making sure people were coming along with you and like you you communicating the right way so that they understood all of that stuff?
1: Yeah. And I am very thankful to Clorox for that. I grew up in a um, environment where cross-functional feedback was super important. And we did 360 reviews, you know, from marketing to R&D. It's less less structured like that in technology. So I've worked at these large technology companies. I like to think I bring a lot of that 360 into these environments, but I also balance, you know, where Clorox could have been faster and more agile because that's what technology companies are great. I mean, we're, we're disrupting the status quo and you know, we're going to do it faster than some of the behemoth, you know, antiquated companies. And so I I bring kind of the marriage of the two.
0: I know a lot of undergraduates who listen to this interview are going to want to know, like, did Harvard Business School help you become a better leader?
1: So first of all, any undergrads who listen, you should shoot me an email. I'm sure Jeff will put my email up there. You should intern for us. You should tell me what skills you want to develop. I'm very thankful to the internships I've had along the way. Um, So my affinity is to Cal. I went to UC Berkeley. I love the Golden Bears, but I am very thankful to Harvard. What Harvard allowed me to do was spend two years thinking about what's important to myself. Mm -hmm. I was a career changer. I went from being in professional consulting to being in an operating role. I could not have done that without Harvard.
0: Sorry, what, what was so special about Harvard that allowed you to do that?
1: So there is a difference between being in professional services and an operator. In professional services, you're not living and breathing the company. You have a portfolio of many. You don't actually see the execution of the recommendations you put into place. So I missed that. Um, I started it. So I had been on like two engagements a week when I was... Um, In consulting prior to business school. When I started at Harvard, you take your foundational classes, and Harvard is taught only through case study, meaning that you're taking an operations class, you're taking a finance class, but you're doing it by reading a case about an operating company. Is that a powerful way to learn? It's definitely a way to absorb information. I mean, it's all case studies. You need to live and breathe what was happening in the company versus like the conceptual academics. When I studied at Cal, you went and heard a professor, you read the materials, right? Like this is actually unpacking what happens in the company. The case studies are, I don't know, like 10 to 20 pages there's exhibits you do analysis you meet with your study group um, you do the, the work the night before you meet with your study group that morning you go through the cases and then in the actual classroom setting it's all cold call format so I will always remember the very first class of the very first day my very first year at HBS I was the number one cold call and what was that's yeah, it was an operations class and it was uh, the the case was Benihana and I am going back to 2001 here Jeff so that tells you how much it stuck in my head. Brand new person, first time in Boston. The question was what is Benihana selling? Do you know Benihana?
0: Benihana of Tokyo?
1: Yeah. The, yeah, like, you know, those Japanese
0: restaurant where they so make
1: What is money. what is Benihana sell, Jeff?
0: Benihana sells the experience. Like where else That was my watch-
1: answer. You just nailed it. So if I understood the value prop of Benihana, someone might have said they sell teriyaki chicken.
0: No. Missed
1: the mark. What Benihana is selling is you go with your friends and family, you watch a show where the chef's entertaining with you. He throws the egg in his hat. He chops up that rice and chicken. And you've left there after two hours feeling like you had a communal table.
0: Okay, so so you answered the question and you nailed it. Then what? I mean, first of all, how did you feel before the class? How did you feel after you gave the answer?
1: Well, what so happened? my my first year is called RC, a uh, required curriculum at Harvard. I had what was called a skydeck de- a seat, which is in the very top row. It, it, you know, you would think you that it's like a, a, a chicken. good chicken. Yeah, you'd think it's a good place to hide. There's 80 kids in that section. And you watch the professor walk out into the bullpen, look up, and his eyes met mine. And I thought, (laughs) oh, I'm going to be called on right now. And I was.
0: Oh, my God. Well, how did you feel afterwards? Like, because there wasn't. You
1: know how I felt afterwards? Well, you're only going to get one cold call in this class. So I'm safe. I got a whole semester to work through now. Don't need to do the cases.
0: And then he called on you the second day, too? Yeah,
1: right. I'm just kidding.
0: (laughs) Jennifer, thank you so much. This was
1: so fun.
0: I really appreciate you being so vulnerable and so direct with all these answers.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. I really.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. And we hope you enjoyed today's conversation. If you'd like to attend to join Deep Dive Discussions, please visit www.imperfectleaders.com. Until then, we'll see you next week.